like that. Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to like, this blast, Wednesday blast, edition of the Logan Blackman blast, Show. I hope you all are ready for an exhilarating, exhilarating, absolutely exhilarating episode of the Logan Blackman Show here on this March 1st. We are officially in March. This year is going by super fast, and as I've noticed, as I've been getting older, years just go by so fast. Everything's going by so freaking fast. Like, it doesn't feel like that long ago I was in freaking high school, and then I look back at it, I graduated high school in 2016. 2016. We are in 2023. That was seven years ago. Seven years ago, I graduated high school. And I'm sure a few of you listening graduated in high school, from high school, in 2016. It's just so weird to think about. Isn't it? Isn't it? I played college football. My last year of college football was in 2017-2018. What? <laughs> this doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand how time's moving so fast nowadays. But with that all being said, with that out of the way, let's go over some housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, you're listening right now, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. You can find me on Instagram at Blackman Logan or the show's Instagram account, the Logan Blackman Show One, Facebook and YouTube. Search Logan Blackman Show should pop up. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube pan, YouTube page, YouTube channel, yeah, yeah, YouTube channel, and then like and follow the Facebook page, and then once again, you're listening to it right now, make sure you are following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts and leave a rating out of five stars. It can be a one-star rating or a five-star rating, I don't really care, just as long as you leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. It could be about the show in general, it could be about an individual episode, it could be about something I said, it could be about the host. It could be anything you freaking want. Just let me know down below. Now, I hope you all are having a good week. I hope you all are having a good week. I'm sorry I did not have a show on Monday. I'm very sorry about that. I played basketball with some friends on Sunday. When I was some friends Saturday, played some basketball with some friends on Sunday. Watched Kalen Clark's game winner against Indiana on Sunday as well. Watched Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury, which was which was very good. Which is very good. And as someone that's followed the the quote-unquote influencer boxing scene for some time now, it was it was really good. It was really good. And I can honestly say, after watching Tommy Fury for, I think, about four or five fights, I've seen about four or five of Tommy Fury's fights, this is easily the best he has looked. Easily the best he's looked. And Jake, it was one of those things where he'd done these things to these other fighters, and yes, they were older fighters like Anderson Silva, like Tyrone Woodley, like Ben Askren, like Nate Robinson, like these guys. And he did that stuff against Tommy Fury. But the problem was he was eating it. Tommy Fury was eating it and Tommy Fury was throwing back. Jake knocked down Tommy Fury in the eighth round, but that was pretty much it. I think for the majority of the fight, Tommy Fury was the better boxer. Tommy Fury, Tommy Fury well-deserved the win. Well-deserved the win. Easily the best fight of his career. Great job out of him. We're interested to see who he fights next, if he goes to the KSI fight, or if Jake goes to KSI or reenacts the rematch clause that is in their contract. So it's going to be very interesting, because I think that should be a rematch. I think there should be a rematch. As a KSI fan, as someone who's watched KSI pretty much my entire life, or not my entire life, but my adolescent into adult years life, I would love to see Jake and KSI finally fight, but I think he's also going to want to fight Tommy Fury. Tommy could also go with the mindset of, Oh, I want to end YouTube boxing. I want to end the entire thing. I want to be the, the final blow, final nail in the coffin of YouTube boxing. I beat Jake. There's one end of it. And then KSI, the two upper echelon of YouTube boxing, are KSI and Jake Paul. If he can beat both of them, and 
that's I'm not going to sit here and say YouTube boxing will be over. It's just a loss. It's just a loss. Now, their career trajectories, especially for Jake, who was trying to go more professional, instead of focusing on the YouTube side of things, the influencer boxing scene and stuff like that, this changes his career path a tiny bit. Because there were some reports going into this fight that Jake would have been a ranked fighter had he beaten Tommy Fury. That was the thing that was going into this. And then for those of you who are going out there and talking about Jake, like, I don't like Jake Paul. I'm not going to sit here and act like I, Jake, like I like Jake Paul. I do not. I do not. He, I find him extremely annoying, extremely cringy, and he seems like kind of a dickbag of a person. But that being said, you have to look at this fight from a neutral perspective. As hard as that may be, because Jake's not a very easy person to be objective about, but going into the fight I was watching with some friends, they were honestly looking at it like, oh, Jake's paying off his fighters. Jake's doing this. Jake's doing that. I, I, might, I just want Jake to lose. Like, you got to look at it at least somewhat objectively. you got to look at it at least somewhat objectively. The Jake pays off fighters thing has always been stupid to me. Jake can box. I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, Jake could beat Canelo Alvarez, or he could even compete with Canelo Alvarez. But he is a good boxer. He's not a title contender. He's not anything insane that's going to put him up to the next level. And, and to be honest, I don't think Tommy Fury is either. I don't think Tommy Fury is either. But that was the first quote-unquote real test for Jake because it was someone his age and a professional boxer. But if you're comparing opponents between Jake and Tommy Fury, Jake has fought tougher opponents up until this point than Tommy Fury has. And Tommy has not looked anywhere that good in all of his eight fights leading up to this fight. Seven or eight fights leading up to this fight. This was, again, I cannot stress this enough. This was easily the best he looked. And there are some people that are upset about the split decision. I'm not too shocked by that. I'm not too shocked by that. I think the third round, Jake definitely won. I'm sure the knockdown in the eighth definitely skewed some people. But if that was a way for Jake to quote-unquote um, pay off a fighter or pay off the judges or something like that, that would have been one to do it against a professional boxer. And yet Jake still lost. And I think it was funny. I saw a script going around social media. <laughs> it was from the super awesome people that Jake has tried to fight in the past, like Dylan Dennis and Mike Perry were the two people I saw that tweeted this out. And again, those are two people that have tried to fight Jake in the past or Jake has called or talked shit about or called out in the past. And there was one thing that was in particular about this. Round five, Tommy's fear... Okay, round four. Tommy seems to be having trouble with his left eye, which is starting to swell shut. Now, how do you, how do you script that? How do you script an eye swelling shut? That is not something you can script. <laughs> I'm sorry, for I know you don't like Jake Paul. I'm well aware you don't like Jake Paul. But even that's reaching. For people that were looking at this and actually biting the hook on this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You let your hatred blind you a little bit because you can't fake <laughs> an eye that is swelling shut. That is a body's reaction. It's not something you go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Start, start making it swell. Start making it swell. And then my Fury eyes almost completely shut in the fifth round. And the ringside doctor is called to take a look. The doctor determines that Fury can't continue, but warns him that he may have to stop the fight his division if his vision deteriorates any further. That's... <laughs> so his eye is going to shut because the script says so. This is the same people that say the NFL scripted after Arian Foster came out with this. This is not real. But Dylan Danis and Mike Perry, that should be your, been your first clue, that this was not a real script. Because those are the first two people that tweeted it, that I saw. It could have been someone different that tweeted out first, those are the first two people that I saw tweeted out. But you cannot fake us eye swell. You can't do that. I'm sorry. That's not how the body works. <laughs> he, fa he faked breaking his leg. Oh, my God, man. This is so rigged. 
this is rigged. How do you fake break in your... Man, he broke his freaking leg. That's so, tr that's so rigged. Like, just think about that for a little bit. You can fake, like, certain injuries that you can't see. Like, oh, now my shoulder starts to hurt. No one can really see that. Eye swelling, that is something that everybody and their mom <laughs> can see. With two working eyes. Even with one working eye, you can see an eye swelling. But it's going to be interesting to see how these two go carry on in their boxing careers. Because Jake, again, the KSI fight's going to loom large. That's the biggest influencer boxing event that could possibly take place. JSI versus Jake Paul. But again, Jake, wanting to keep going down the professional route, is going to want to fight Tommy Fury again. So we'll see how this all transpires. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. But again, I think Tommy fought a really good fight. I thought Jake looked good. I'm not going to sit here and say that either one of these guys are title contenders, because neither one of them are. At this point in time, no. And I don't even think really in the future they are. But it was an entertaining fight. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that could say they weren't entertained by this fight. I think in boxing that the thing that's annoying about boxing is someone that loves boxing, loves watching boxing, grew up watching boxing. The one thing that's always irked me about boxing is the ring walks and just how long things have to go before the fight can actually take place. Like the everything in boxing is a spectacle. Like it's always look at this, look at this, look at this. It's all about the promotion of the thing. The fighting really in boxing comes secondary, especially in an event like this where it's two guys that are relatively nuanced in their boxing career, rev relatively young in their boxing careers. It's all about the spectacle. It's Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. Ad, 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 ad. Ring walk, ring walk, ring walk. <laughs> and the broadcast sucked. Broadcast team sucked. The funniest part of the whole thing, or the best part of the whole thing, was when the reporter who was interviewing Logan Paul on the, <laughs> on the side said, I love you, to Logan, after he, Logan was talking about giving Jake a speech. He's like, I'm not going to give you a big speech, Jake. I know you got this. Love you, bro. And then the guy just said, I love you too. Now, what do you think? <laughs> it's like, wait, 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 wait. And I was watching again with a few friends. And we all sat there quietly. And then one of them turned around. And we all started laughing because we were like, okay, that, that, we didn't just imagine that happening. We didn't just hear that and then go like, oh, that didn't really happen. There's no way that really happened. There's no way everybody else heard that. But everybody else heard that. And I saw it on Twitter too, which made it even funnier. That I got to put on Twitter. Because <laughs> it was one of the strangest interactions I've seen. But again, broadcasting was not very great. It was not very great. In the stream we had, the broadcast started going ahead of the action. So they were freaking out before Tommy got knocked down on the screen. But they were freaking out in the audio that Tommy got knocked down. So I had to put it on mute. And then they wrote out the scorecards. We didn't hear what the scorecards were. I saw them afterwards when I went on Twitter. But that was pretty much it. Now, with boxing... A lot of what goes into boxing is working out, trying to get in better shape. So I will apologize in advance. I know we're a little bit deeper into the show than I was anticipating, but I will apologize in advance if I start to, to carry on a little bit. I'm tired, okay? I'm very tired right now because I woke up early this morning. I woke up at 6 o'clock this morning and went to go work out. Yes, this is like the 100th time I've talked about this on the show where Logan is going to go and start working out again. Logan's going to start getting in shape. Logan's going to do this. Logan's going to do that. Logan's tired as hell. I don't know why I don't want to work out in the evening, but it's just I, I just don't want to. I think it's a thing I don't want to shower twice. I really don't like this is a pet peeve of mine, and I, I don't want to make sound like I don't shower. I shower every single day. I shower every day. 
So I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, I don't shower. I don't like being wet. I don't like being wet, but I will shower. But I only would like to shower one time a day. At least that's, that's how I picture it. So you might go like, oh, Logan, you should be fine going to a gym and then showering at night. No, I know I'm fine doing it. I did it in college. I worked out at noon, and then I would go to practice and shower afterwards. So I did shower twice a day when I was in college at William Penn, but I just, I don't need to anymore. But then you're going like, well, Logan, you don't need to get up for anything anymore. I was like, well, yeah, but then it also gets me going for the day, at least in the morning, and then towards mid-afternoon until right, probably right around now is where I start to crash a little bit. I did get pre-workout, which is something I've never done before. I've never taken pre-workout before. In my 25 years on this earth, this is the first time I've ever even had it, let alone bought it for myself. But I was like, hey, I've got to start going to the gym. I've got to start working out a little bit more. I'm going to go in the morning. So I need something to pick me up before I go to the gym. So I'm doing all the different things about which pre-workout's the best. Is it fine if I take it on an empty stomach and stuff like that? Which it is, but after I got done working out, I threw up afterwards and it was all just pre-workout. It wasn't even anything that I was really doing. It just sat weird in my stomach. So... We might have like a banana before we go and work out or something or something like that. While you're, while you're listening to the show, I've probably already been to the gym. Yeah, yeah, I've already probably been. Because I'm going today. I went today, Tuesday. Then I'm going tomorrow, Wednesday. And then I'm going to go Friday. Because I want to start working out three times a week. And Monday, Wednesday, Friday is going to be the goal. But I didn't do anything Monday. I didn't want to get up early on Monday. This past Monday. This past Monday. So I just wanted to try it out, see how we did. And we did good. My arms are a little numb. They're not sore. Well, that will come tomorrow. The soreness will come tomorrow. But we're, we're getting back in the swing of things. That's one of the things that I, I hate about myself. That's one of the things I hate about myself is that I get so motivated to do something and then I'll do it for about three, two to three weeks and then I'll stop and I'll just stop and I'll, I won't do it again. Like I was on a stretch last summer where I went for about a month straight and I went three to four times a week. I was looking good. I was looking good. I went to my friend Caleb's wedding. I was looking, I was feeling good. And then I stopped. And then I tried to kick it back up again once I got back from Montana. Or when was Caleb's wedding? Was that in May? I don't remember exactly when that was. It might have been after I got back from Montana. But either way, I got back after Montana, started working out again. And then I stopped. And then I got back to like November. I started working out a little bit again. Or maybe it was October. Started working out a little bit again. And then just completely stopped until right now. And then for some reason, it took me till February 28th, well, it was a little bit last week, it was a little bit of last week, to where I was like, oh, now I'm going to start working out. Now is going to be the time I get back in freaking shape. Yeah. But again, I'm not working out towards anything, so that's the end of the motivation factor for me, is what am I working towards here? Like, I'm not working out to be in a sport or anything, and I'm not really walking around shirtless at this point in time. So I'm pretty much just working out to try and just get in better shape for me, I guess. I'm doing this for me type thing. But the other problem is, is the commute. And it's not a very long one, but it's on the... It, it, it sounds super lazy when you say it out loud. When I when I think about it, it's fu- like, I'm. oh yeah, Logan, it's a little bit of a drive. You're perfectly fine. And then you think about it, it's about a five, ten minute drive from my apartment. Maybe five minute drive, not five, but probably a ten minute drive, if we're being honest. And that was my problem up at UNI. Like, I worked out almost every day at William Penn, up to you and I, didn't really want to work out anymore. And then when COVID hit, a couple of my roommates built a gym in the garage. Because my reasoning for not going to the WRC up at you and I was because, oh, the commute's there. It's, pretty, it's a pretty long ways away. And it's not, but that's what you're telling yourself in your brain. And then they have a gym in the garage. I'm like, well, I just don't want to do it. 
that was the testing point. Like, I technically have a gym at my apartment complex. I just have no reason. to. I don't want to do it. It's too much of a, st- a small area, and I don't really want to interact with Like, if one other person comes in there, that's weird for me. I'm sorry. I'm a very socially awkward person. I wouldn't say I'm fully introverted, but I'm an antisocial extrovert, as Kendrick Lamar once said. That's how I would describe myself. Because when I'm with a group of friends, I can be very outgoing. But if I'm in a room of people that I don't necessarily know, I'll be very, very quiet. But once I get to know you, I'll be very comfortable and I'll start talking, you know, and annoying the shit out of you. But it's like, yeah, I'd say probably antisocial extrovert, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely antisocial. Like, I don't have any social skills whatsoever. And you think, Logan, you host such a great podcast. You talk so much. You talk for an hour straight, sometimes two hours nonstop, with no breaks, with one only, with just you. How can you tell yourself that you cannot talk for, with, to any, like, you can't talk to anybody? No, I can't. I'm sorry. It's just not how I'm wired. It's never been how I'm wired. And, yeah, that's another thing that I hate about myself. So let's just go down the things Logan hates about himself. Logan hates about himself that he gets randomly motivated and just randomly stops. I get so motivated to do something, and then I'll stop. Like doing a mock draft. You know how many times I typed up last week's mock draft before I actually posted it? Like, I get to the point where, like, oh, now I'm going to sit down and do a mock draft. Now I'm going to actually all type it out. Now I'm going to type it out. I did that about four or five times because I was scheduled to post it before Super Bowl Sunday. And then I was like, okay, I'll post it Monday after the Super Bowl. So mock draft Monday after the Super Bowl. And then I was like, well, you know what? We'll just post it on Friday after the Super Bowl. And then it just went all these different things. So finally, I was like, okay, Logan, we are sitting down and doing this. That was what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where I sat down for eight, nine, ten hours and just typed up random mock draft and then was done. Didn't shower or anything until about 6.30 in the afternoon or afternoon in the evening. It was gross. It was disgusting. So yes, when I say I don't like being wet... I need to shower. I feel gross if I don't shower, but I, that's it. I just need to shower one time. That's if I go, if I like, so if I go play basketball, of course I'm going to shower after I play basketball because I don't want to go to bed sweaty, st- like gross, sweaty, stinky mess. I'm not going to do that. If I need to, I'll shower. If I think I can pass it, I'll be fine. I might, might, grossly, might sit it out and go like, you know what? We don't need to shower. It's very rare that happens. It's very rare that happens. But I only shower twice a day if I absolutely need to. And I hate it. So there's another thing I hate about myself. I don't like getting wet. I do not like getting wet. I hate rain. I don't like getting water randomly thrown on me. Like, I don't like... I I hate the feeling of being wet. I'm sorry. It's another thing. It's another thing I absolutely hate about... What was the other thing? The third thing we said? Oh, being antisocial. Being an antisocial extrovert. Like, that's one of the other things I hate about myself. I can't talk to everybody out there. I can't talk to everybody out there. If I'm with a group of friends, yeah, I might talk to you. But I don't want to... The one thing I don't like is when people act all friendly when you're not friends. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. So those are probably the top three things. I mean, what else? I have an insane jersey collection. I guess I collected... I, I don't... I haven't gone in a little bit, but I used to collect football cards a lot. Uh, What else? I could kind of grow a beard. I wish I could grow a better beard. I wish I had hair that would actually be able to flow back. I tried to have a flow when I was up at UNI. I tried super hard. It looked really good to me <laughs> with a hat on. It looked really good with a hat on. Oh, my God. It looked like absolute shite when I had the hat off. That thing would drop down because my hair is very straight. 
it's a weird combination because my hair is thick, but it's really straight and it can get really greasy really fast. So it's so I wear hats a lot. That's the main reason why I'm wearing hats is because it's how greasy it looks. It's fine, but it's just greasy. So hair would be something else. But yeah, other than that, perfect human being. <laughs> All this is in jest. I'm not sitting here, like, actually degrading myself for your entertainment. Maybe I am. Maybe that's what I am doing. I'm just, I'm I'm letting the, I'm drawing the curtain back so you can see the real Logan Blackman. I need to drink more water. That's something I'm trying to do. I need to eat healthier. I do need to eat healthier. I'm trying to do that as well. Like, I eat my vegetables. I eat my vegetables. But I need to learn how to cook more food at home. I can cook. I can I just need to, to broaden my horizons a little bit with that. And, you know, I guess you could go as just trying new things, broaden a little bit more, and regardless to, or to a bunch of different aspects. Because you go to a restaurant, you're like, I like what I like, I'm going to get it. But I could try, try to experiment with the foods on the, the restaurant menu. Or, like, different beverages or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I got a Labatt Blue with me right now, because we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills here in a little bit. But those are the hundred things I hate about myself. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, my ability to remember the most random shit ever in regards to like the NFL draft and just football in general. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's a cool party trick every once in a while. But you're like, oh my god, remember when this happened? And no one else remembers it happened. And then you have someone out there Googling it because they don't believe that, you, that it happened. I hate it. Everybody turning to you expecting you to know. If something like, well, well, Logan would know. Well, Logan would know. So maybe it's a it's a cool, but not, not, you know what? It's whatever. It's whatever. I enjoy it. I do enjoy it. Because it gives me my little, uh, my niche, I guess you could say. But when you don't know something, when everybody turns to you, it goes like, oh, Logan would know. Logan would know. Or, Logan, you don't know that? It's a, it's a pressure. <laughs> it's an overwhelming pressure. Overwhelming pressure. Now, with overwhelming pressure, great segue. Great segue, Logan. There's an overwhelming pressure on the Buffalo Bills right now. And what the overwhelming pressure is, is to be Super Bowl contenders. Which is something they have been for the better part of two years now. Maybe three years. Maybe three years. Since Stephon Diggs has been in Buffalo, and Josh Allen's been at an MVP level, the Bills have been quote-unquote Super Bowl contenders. Or one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. They were overwhelming favorites to not only go to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl this year. We've talked about this before, but NFL Network, earlier this year, before the season started, their whole panel, their whole entire panel for NFL Sunday morning preview, for NFL, Sunday morning NFL preview, whatever you call it, with like Rich Eisen, Rich, Rich Eisen uh, Kurt Warner, uh, Steve Mariucci, all those guys, had the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl versus a random team from the NFC. It was like, the Super Bowl is going to be the Bills versus whoever. Everybody and their mom expected the Buffalo Bills to go to the Super Bowl this year. And not only did they not do that, they got absolutely schlacked by the Cincinnati Bengals in the division round at home. At home. This was a team that finished 13-3. and Obviously, they didn't play their 17th game to the whole DeMar Hamlin situation. But this is a team that, though 13-3, and just looked so off. Like, they never really had that convincing victory that we saw earlier in the season. And a lot of that could go down to Josh Allen's elbow injury against the Jets because that's when everything started to kind of change in regards to the results the Bills were getting. They were winning, 
they're finding ways to win, which sometimes can be the 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 way a team can galvanize themselves and end up going on a Super Bowl run. That could be fun. But then when you're sitting there like you lose, almost lose to the Dolphins in the playoffs with Skylar Thompson, then you start to worry a little bit more. And I was sitting here before that Bengals game, going over what everybody was saying about the Bills going into that game. Everybody was saying about the Bengals, talking about how the Bengals are going to wipe the Bills. If they had a healthy outside line, they're going to wipe the Bills. And it was like, people, did you forget what happened in the Bills-Bengals-Ravens game? They were a Tyler Huntley non-fumble at the one-yard line away from getting out of the playoffs, which is just crazy to think about how the Bills would have reacted against the Jacksonville Jaguars rather than the Baltimore Ravens. Or rather than the Bengals, sorry. Like, how crazy would that have been? Would the Bills have advanced the AFC Championship game? I'm not sure. The hype going to the Jaguars till next season is already at a fever pitch. Imagine what would happen if they beat the Bills and end up going to the AFC Championship game after having the number one overall pick last year. Imagine that. Like, there's already people talking about, like, Colin Coward and uh, Trevor Lawrence is number three quarterback in the NFL going into next season. Josh Allen was number five. Jalen Hurts was six. Is it Jalen Hurts that just finished second in the MVP voting, was a second-team All-Pro, was the best player on the field in the Super Bowl, and he's rated sixth. And three and four is Lawrence and Herbert, who I like a lot, who I like a lot, who are definitely top-ten quarterbacks. But let's settle down on the the top-three conversation for Trevor Lawrence because, remember, he had a really good second half of the season, but his first half of the season was not great. And you could say the same thing about his playoffs this year because uh, against the Chargers, four interceptions. I understand they came back and won. But that still happened. And it takes a special type of person to recover from that. I understand that. But let's not instantly go top three quarterback. I don't even think Josh Allen's thrown four interceptions in the playoffs in his career, let alone in the first half. Well, how many interceptions in the playoffs has Josh Allen thrown in his career? I think it's only three. Oh, he's thrown exactly four. Oh, he threw three this year. He threw, <laughs> he threw three this year in the playoffs. But that Bengals game is a game that I'll always look back to. About a team that so much was expected, like, before the season started, expectations for this team were at a fever pitch. And then you look at week one and two, where they beat the reigning Super Bowl champions in L.A., and then beat the Tennessee Titans, the number one team in the AFC the season prior, by those scores, and you're like, oh my god, this team's going to go undefeated. My dad and I actually had those conversations before the Dolphins game. Before they lost the Dolphins 21-19, it was like, oh, I don't see where this team loses. Like, you really, you don't want to think like that. And it wasn't like we were saying, like, oh, there's no way this team does lo- this team loses the game the rest of the year. There's no way. Because there's going to be some stupid loss in there. Like, it's it's not 100% guaranteed to go undefeated regular season. It rarely happens. The Patriots are the last team to do that. Like, the Carolina Panthers went 15-1. and That was the closest team since then that's done it. And it was funny about that Panthers team. It's my one of my favorite facts in NFL history is that the Carolina Panthers never had back-to-back winning seasons in their history, and they went 15-1 and and went to a Super Bowl. They have gone winning season 500, but they have never gone winning season, winning season back-to-back, which is just crazy to think about. Again, a 15-1 and team. This is a team that has been to two Super Bowls since they've been a team. So they came into the league about 1995, 94-95. They've been to two Super Bowls. Neither one of those times they have a winning record the next season. Isn't that insane? Isn't that insane to think about? <laughs> Maybe it's not that insane, but it is for me. It is for me. And a lot of people are expecting some things for the Carolina Panthers this year if they get the quarterback position right in their draft this year. And they might go out and sign Carson Wentz because he just got released by the Commanders yesterday. So we'll see if that all goes down. But 
the Bills going undefeated, it didn't seem like a uh, unfathomable thing. Like you look at the teams that they played, the, the teams they lost to, the Dolphins, Jets, and Vikings. You look at those three teams. After week two, the Dolphins had that win against the Ravens, which is impressive, but they had one good fourth quarter. That was it. They did not look good against the New England Patriots. It looked like absolute shit week one against the Patriots. And then they came back in the second half, beat the Ravens with Lamar Jackson playing his freaking life, playing the game, one of the games of his life against the Miami Dolphins. And the Dolphins still came back and won so the Ravens defense. Just like, yeah, you know what? We don't want to play pass coverage. We don't want to pass coverage. And then you got the Jets. I don't care what the Jets were doing. You cannot lose to the Jets. I said that at the time. I said that after the game. I said it before the game. And I'm saying it now. You cannot lose to the Jets. If you have those aspirations, you cannot lose to the Jets under any circumstance. I don't care how good the Jets are. It's still the Jets. And then the Vikings game. When the Vikings, that same week, the Bills pummeled the Titans, the Vikings got pummeled by the Eagles. Same exact night. Like, you could not sit there and, as a Bills fan and go, like, these three, these three teams are the teams they're going to lose to. Especially the ways they did. And those are games that were winnable games. Definitely winnable games. Games they probably should have won. Against the Dolphins, Josh missed a throw on the one-yard line. Double-clutched it. Threw it at the feet of Isaiah McKenzie. Against the Jets, Josh threw an interception in the red zone. Against the Vikings, Josh threw an interception in the red zone. So Josh, not play great in those games. Not play great in those games. One of the worst games was against the Jets. And the Vikings game obviously had the fumble at the one-yard line as well, which was freaking awesome. But expectations were so high in that Bengals game, they got embarrassed. They got absolutely embarrassed by the Cincinnati Bengals. And this is not like a thing that should surprise people at this point. Maybe the, the scoreline. Maybe the scoreline does a little bit. Because I think it felt like it was a lot farther away than what the scoreline actually said with how bad the offense and defense were playing in that game. Lou Amarillo and Bryce, Bryce Callahan absolutely outcoached the entire Bills coaching staff in that game. And that's been a case for the Bills in the playoffs since they've you know started becoming a really good team that people are actually looking like, oh, that's a Super Bowl contender. Like, this is in the Bills' last three playoff losses. Last three playoff losses. They have allowed a combined score of, hold on, let's do the quick math real, real quick. Hold on. Hold on. The defense in the last three games has allowed 107 points. In the last three playoff games the Bills have had against the Bengals, Chiefs, and Chiefs, 107 points. Let me, let me, let's calculate the yards real quick. Let's calculate the yards. In those three games, the Bills have allowed 1,403 yards. In those three games, 1,403 yards. In those three games, the Bills have given up 89 first downs. 89. On third and fourth down conversions, the Bills allowed the teams they were playing 64%, 64%, and 60%. There was a point in time where the Bengals had more first down, like double the first downs the Bills did, like in the first half. It was insane. It, was, it wasn't like 2-1 to one or something like that. No, 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 no. It was like 28-12. to 12. Like It was massive. It was more than half. And in those four, in those three games, the Bills have forced zero turnovers and have four sacks. Zero against the Bengals, who everybody said if they had a healthy offensive line, would blow out the Bills. Let alone an offensive line that had a guy starting at left tackle who was making his first ever career start in the NFL. Against a team that was the overwhelming preseason favorite to win the Super Bowl. 
and he's making his first ever start on the road in this game. Like, then he has three games. They have been absolutely outcoached, outclassed. Like, it's been ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. That game against Kansas City is the most frustrating game of my entire life. When I keep looking back to that game, the divisional round game in 2021, the divisional round, or 2022, I guess. You go back to that game, where 13 seconds, that whole thing. That is probably the Bills' best chance to go and win a Super Bowl, was that game. And the Bills' defense gave up 42-1. That is the best game Josh Allen has ever played. If you want to go to the Patriots game, sure. If you want to say the Patriots game was, then it's the second best game Josh Allen ever played in his life. And he didn't get to touch the ball in overtime, or defense couldn't stop anybody because they played prevent defense when the Chiefs had three timeouts. Three timeouts. You don't need to play prevent defense. You don't need to guard the sidelines. They have three timeouts. They're going to stop the clock wherever the hell the ball's at. Three straight years, you've been outcoached by the opposing team. And people want to talk about, oh, uh, Andy Reid. Ken Dorsey's not the same play caller as Andy Reid. Well, shouldn't Leslie Frazier be able to call defense better than Lou Amarillo, better than freaking Steve Spagnuolo? He's been around as long as they have. He might as well have been around longer. He's damn near 70 years old. Like, people want to talk about Leslie Frazier getting head coaching opportunities. I think he should have gotten a head coaching opportunity a few years ago, but he's aged himself out of that process. And now there was an update today, this morning, of Leslie Frazier stepping down as Bill's defensive coordinator and is going to take a year off. Who knows if he's going to come back or not, but this is something that we said after the Bengals game. We said this after the Bengals game. And I saw someone on Twitter. Oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Oh, yeah. Bills fans, we need to move on from Frazier. Bills, announced Frazier taking a year off. Bills fan, this is bad. Who are we going to fill the shoes? Because this should have happened after the game. This shouldn't have happened in late March. It shouldn't have happened in March. This should have happened the first, the last week of January. We are a month late in this whole strategy process, this whole hiring process. You have candidates like Vic Fangio, like Brian freaking Flores, available. And you know what you go and do? Vance Joseph, Steve Wilkes is available. Like you have options. And you know what they do? They sit on their hands and you go like, you know what? We're fine. We're content. We've been outcoached and outclassed the past three years. But we're fine. We're going to sit on our hands and be fine. Like, I can understand to a certain extent Ken Dorsey because it's in his first year as an office coordinator. His first year as an OC. He's going to have some growing pains. He's not going to be perfect right out the jump, but I'm still pissed off that he went to go interview for the Panthers the Friday before the Bengals game. Could have made things a little bit easier if you were game planning instead of, you know, going to interview for a head coaching job that you were never going to get. Like, cool. Thank you for doing that. But Frazier, this is the third straight year. The Bills scored, what, 36 points in the Chiefs game last year on offense. They gave up 42 and played prevent defense with 13 seconds left. And let the Chiefs do whatever they want. Again, that mic'd up clip of Travis Kelsey saying there, if they're going to leave the field that wide open, hit me over the middle. You've got three timeouts to work with. You got Harrison Bucker, who is good at who, though shaky this year, can hit it from 60 plus yards if asked. This is not someone that you need to put way up the field to make get a game-winning opportunity. Like people that are going, oh, oh, who are the Bills going to do now? Yeah. Because this is too late. Is Sean McDermott going to go back to calling plays on defense? 
that's in his background. He called plays in Carolina. He called plays in Philly. At least I believe he called plays in Philly. He's called plays for the Bills in the past. But yeah, being the move on from Frazier and who's going to fill shoes are appropriate responses at this point in time because you are a month late. You sat on your hands for too long. And you know what probably is going to work out here? They're going to go and get someone from the freaking Carolina Panthers because the only team they know how to recruit from. If you didn't coach with the Panthers, you're probably not going to come coach up in Buffalo. It's not how it's going to work. You need to have some sort of experience with the Panthers. They always hire people they're familiar with, which has shown it has not worked. It has not worked by any stretch of the imagination. Eric Bieniemy and Brian Flores are available, and you sit on your hands and sit with Ken Dorsey and then wait for Leslie Frazier to go a month, and then we'll make the move or have him sit out of here. Now, I don't know what's going on in Leslie Frazier's personal life. It could have been some tragedy there. I'm very sorry if there's a tragedy involved in this whole situation and why he's stepping down. But this is a step that needed to happen. It's just a freaking month late. It's a month late. You look at the Bills' three playoff appearances. The last three. And I know the offense didn't play well. But you generate four sacks and zero against the Bengals. Zero sacks against the Bengals. The, the Chiefs had three, I think, in the first two drives of the game against the Bengals. Three in the first three years. With how much the Bills have invested in the defensive line. Like, I understand Von Miller was hurt. But you look at the rest of their defensive line. Ebenezer, second-round draft pick. Basham, second-round draft pick. Oliver, ninth overall draft pick. Like, these are guys, Rousseau, first-round draft pick. Like, these are guys that you've invested a lot in, and they're not developing. They've invested so much into getting this D-line, quote-unquote, right, and it was good at the start of the year. And then Von Miller goes out, and then it's back to normal. Like, Von Miller's in his early 30s, mid-30s. I understand he's one of the greatest pass rushers of all time, but that dude at that age should not have that much of an impact if he's gone. You have de- you have addressed this need in almost every single draft since Brandon Bean's been a GM. Address the D-line in some capacity every single draft and have avoided addressing the offensive line for the better part of his entire time there. You got Cody Ford in the second. That's it. That's it. You inherited Deion Dawkins, you try, you signed Mitch Morse, and the rest of it has been, well, we hope Spencer Brown can develop. Oh, we hope Roger Saffold is still the Roger Saffold from three years ago. Oh, maybe Ryan Bates or Ike Butker can ballot it out for the last guard spot. Like, it's all maybe this, maybe that, hopefully this. There's no guarantees with that. I understand there's no guarantees in this, but at least address the need like you have with the defensive line. He keeps talking about this. past however many years he's talked about, oh, Josh Allen needs to stop taking less hits. The way you can stop letting him take less hits is if you get him off the line. Like when the Chiefs, we talked about this when you did the mock draft. When the Chiefs got absolutely exposed by the Buccaneers for their, their off the line all being hurt, what did the Chiefs do? I can tell you what they didn't do. They wouldn't be like the freaking Buffalo Bills and go like, you know what, we'll bring everybody back and work it together. No, they got rid of everybody and then re-strengthened and then became one of the better off the lines in the NFL. Like that. Creed Humphrey. A guy who the Bills passed on in order to draft Boogie Basham is now arguably the best center in the NFL, or one of the best centers in the NFL. Trey Smith, they got all the way in back to the sixth round. Bills could have had him too, and he starts for the Chiefs. They traded for Orlando Brown, a guy that was at the top of his game when they traded for him. Same with Joe Tooney. Same thing. There was no, oh, let's see if this is the Joe Tooney from three years ago. 
or let's hope Orlando Brown develops in this. No, we know what he is. We know what he is. We know he's going to be an elite left tackle. The only question they really have is at right tackle. That's about it. The Bills off the line somehow, by the grace of God, had three off the line in the Pro Bowl. I don't know how the hell that worked out. I mean, there was a quote from Josh Allen from like a week ago that said, it's a copycat league. We got to find ways to be like them. Yeah. You want to know what to be, not be like them? Stop sitting on your freaking hands. Get people in. Like they traded for Kadarius Toney midseason. That's not sitting on their hands. They've gotten get big game players. Drafted big game players. Yeah, yes, I 100% agree. I want to be like the Chiefs. I would love to be like the Chiefs. There's no reason the Bills can't be like the Chiefs. But they sit on their freaking hands too much and they're not comfortable with something. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. We built this culture here that we cannot screw it up by adding someone that's outside of the culture. ridiculous. Matt Patricia didn't work out in New England. They got rid of him or moved him to a different spot. Brought someone else in. You could have moved Ken Dorsey to somewhere else. Could have brought in someone else. I mean, Eric Bieniemy, who has won two Super Bowls of the OC of the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, he's available. We're going to stick with it. We're going to stick with Ken Dorsey. <laughs> Brian Flores is available. And we're going to stick with Brian. We're going to stick with uh, Leslie Frazier. Vikings didn't sit on their hands with Ed Donatel. I know the Bills' defense was really good in the regular season. But you see the touchdowns the Bengals scored in that game. They're wide open. They're not even covered. It's easy. They're just giving up ground. They did it against the Chiefs. They've done it every freaking year in the playoffs. And yes, again, I understand the offensive isn't playing its greatest in these games. But you scored 36 points in offense. You should feel comfortable enough to go, oh, yeah, the defense can hold for 13 seconds and not play prevent defense. It's frustrating. It's very, very frustrating. Brandon Bean says his takeaway from the Bengals game is they did not do well enough up front. No shit. Thanks for that one. That's a brilliant statement. God. <laughs> it's so frustrating. But I do hope... And all of that being said, I do hope that whatever's going on outside of football for Leslie Frazier is going all right. But this is, again, a move that should have been made in January, not in damn near March, when all the top candidates are gone. So now they're going to bring someone in from Carolina because that's worked out really well to this point. Look at the Carolina Panthers defense. That's something you should really try to emulate. And then that picture from... Uh, you know, the playoff game on third and four when they're playing eight yards back, giving the Bengals receivers all the time in the world. That's going to keep popping up. You have to play press on that. Have to play press on that. Like, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's frustrating. Because this is a team that has a quarterback that should be able to compete for Super Bowls. That is a team that, quote-unquote, should be able to compete for Super Bowls. They need to go into this offseason, figure out what they're going to do to replace Edmonds and Poyer and or Poyer. If they bring one of them back, that's fine. Sean McDermott today said you're not going to find players or a player or a person to replace Tremaine Edmonds. So maybe they bring Edmonds back on a free on a franchise tag. So we'll see what happens there. You need to get a firm game plan on offense because I don't think the Bills have that. You need to build the offensive line. That has to be priority number one. Get some guard help in there. James Cook. 
either figure out he's going to be the main guy or not. You brought him in as receiving back, and you had him catch 21 passes. So let's figure something out with James Cook and Naheem Hines. Figure out how to get them involved. Bring in another receiver. Like, there's things they can do. But again, I cannot stake the fact that this team was the overwhelming favorite to win the Super Bowl. Overwhelming favorite. And they sit on their hands, and then now you're sitting here, well, now what do we do? You waited too freaking long. I don't know if this is an organizational decision to let Leslie Frazier sit out over there again. There's something personal. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But with the the Bills and the Super Bowl, I saw this on Instagram. It's from part of my take. Choose option A or B. Missed the playoffs 49 times. Win one Super Bowl in 50 years. Or lose 15 Super Bowl, 15 Super Bowl losses in 50 years. Which one would you rather have? As a Cubs fan, I would take my World Series. The win. I'll take the win. So I would choose option A. I chose option A in the poll. It was a poll on Instagram. It was, from, again, from part of my take. 59% agreed with me, at least at the time when I clicked on it. Like, that one championship is awesome. Because going to the... Like, it doesn't miss the playoffs 49 times. I mean, that was just my life as a Cubs fan. <laughs> I've never been to a Super Bowl. But I could feel... I could tell you the pain after losing a Super Bowl would be very bad. Like... People for until recently hated on the Buffalo Bills for losing four Super Bowls, let alone losing 15 and not losing winning one of them. 15 Super Bowl losses in 50 years? Yeah, I'm choosing option A. 15 Super Bowl losses is a lot. That is a lot to bear. I, can, I don't think I can handle that as a fan. So I will take my one Super Bowl win and no playoff appearances. Because there's nothing worse than that little bit of hope. And then once that hope gets taken away, that makes the feeling worse. That's why the Chiefs game last year was so much worse for me than the Bengals game this year. There's no hope in that Bengals game. There was zero hope at any moment in that Bengals game. So I never sat there like, oh, the Bills can win this game. I was there in Kansas City thinking, oh, they're going to the AFC Championship game. They're hosting an AFC Championship game. 13 seconds later, boom, and then overtime, boom. I didn't actually sit there going like, oh, they're going to win, they're going to win. I was actually terrified because I figured that was going to happen. That was what was going to happen. And I've said this before. I've said it before. The last three times the Bills and Chiefs played, Josh Allen's outplayed Patrick Mahomes. So people want to talk about there's a huge gap, and I think there's a, a gap between Mahomes and Allen. But when the two teams play, Allen has outplayed Mahomes the past three times. You can tell me, you can call me biased. I don't care. But yeah, I'm choosing option A. I'd rather win one Super Bowl than, than miss the than lose 15 of them. That just sounds miserable. That is not that is just not something I want to live with. I, I just cannot deal with that. Now, as we've been talking about uh the Bills and talking about what they've been saying this past week, it's because they're at the NFL Combine. The Combine is going on this weekend. We've already said the Combine's going on for this weekend. Oh, I saw this is something else. Uh, Rex Ryan. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, the, the Rex Ryan's popped up as a possibility for <laughs> Buffalo. Do not want that. Do not want that one either. Do not need that. I've experienced that. Don't need that one again. But um, the Combine's going on this weekend, so we got all these interviews going on. We got the Combine starting up on Thursday, so the day after when the show comes out. And I don't remember the exact schedule. Where is it at? Here we go. Where is the full schedule? 
I can't seem to find it. Dane Brugler tweeted it out, so we're going to have to find his Twitter. Because there's a specific, there's specific days that are going. Someone, I can't remember what days everybody's starting. Okay, here we go. Thursday at 3. This could be Eastern time. This could be Eastern time. Uh, we got D-linemen, linebackers. Fridays, we got D-backs and special teams. Saturday, we've got quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends. And then Sunday, we got running backs and off to linemen. So Thursday, we've got the big boys. We got the big boys. And there's going to be some people out of this big boy group that absolutely blow apart the combine. I want to see the list. Who is all at the combine? Uh, Players, I guess. I don't know. NFL combine players. I want to see the entire list of com- of the 23 combine participants. Okay, here we go. There's going to be some guys in this defensive line category that absolutely blow the tor- blow the roof off of Lucas Oil Stadium. That's exactly what happened last year. Well, like Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, like all these guys, they absolutely destroyed the combine last year. Absolutely destroyed it. With someone as big as they are, with how fast they moved, there's going to be some absolute ballers at the defensive line position in this combine. Absolute bullish. Because it might not be as maybe star-studded as was it was last year. As we know, we've only got, like, out of, out of those big-time schools, Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. Those are the main players. And we know they're going to test well. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty freaking confident, confident Jalen Carter is going to have a very, very good combine. Kalijah Kansi, I think, is also going to have a very good combine because... He's not very big. He's six foot two eighty comparatively. He's a big person to the average population, but comparatively to the rest of this draft class, he's tiny. He's a pure speed rusher from the interior. He's a three tech from the speed rusher standpoint, and he's gonna have. He should run a fast forty. If you watched him, he's very very fast, very very fast. I expect him to have a good three cone drill as well. Brian Bressy. This one's gonna be interesting for Bressy, not because of what the tests are gonna be, because I think he'll test well. I think Brian Bressy will test well. He's a very good athlete. He's about 6'3", 305 pounds, somewhere around there. 6'2", 6'1", somewhere around there. It'll be the interview process. And see how he does with all the different, what do you call it? The different measurables. Or not measurables, that's not what I'm looking for. All the different, mm, all the different tests regards to his long-term health. If teams feel like his long-term health is good, because that's one of the questions going with Bressy in the combine or going in the draft, is that can he play a full season? Because it's not something he's done up to this point. Now, some of it's been freak injuries and stuff like that, but that's going to be questions going into this. He could be one of those guys that, if not injured, would be considered a top 10 pick. You remember Miles Jack back in 2017? Like, Miles Jack was that guy in 2017. Like, or 2017, uh, 2016, the Joey Bosa draft, because that was Jalen Ramsey at five. Because Jaguars got Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack. Miles Jack, one of the best linebackers in college football at UCLA, also played some linebacker or running back there. Fell all the way to the second round. Look at Jalen Smith, fell all the way to the second round. It happens pretty much every single year. There's players that fall a little bit. I think it was Jeff uh, Montez Sweat. I think it was Montez Sweat that fell a little bit in the draft in 2020 due to a heart condition or 2019. Sorry, I'm getting all my years mixed up. 2019 due to a heart condition that was a misdiagnosis or something like that at the combine. And he followed the way to, I think, 25, somewhere around there. Like, these different interviews and these different tests can figure out, is this long-term health going to be fine? So I'll have to wait and see on that. I'm intrigued to see how Siaki Ika 
from Baylor will do because this dude is freaking monstrous. He's like Jordan Davis. He's freaking monstrous. I don't. He's. I haven't seen his official size and weight yet. Six four, three hundred fifty eight pounds. Played at LSD originally. Was on the national championship team. But uh, yeah. I'm. I'm intrigued to see how he tests. I'm intrigued to see how he tests because he's a little bit better of a pass rusher than Jordan Davis was. Even though he's similar ish size, he's a little bit shorter, but similar ish size. But he should. I'm. I'm very intrigued to see how he does. I'm very intrigued. Zach Pickens from South Carolina, I think, will test pretty well. Keanu Benton. From Wisconsin, I think we'll test very well as well. 6'3", 312 pounds there. Who else do we really want to talk about? we got to go over the edge rushers a little bit. And there's a, a spot here. So we obviously got Willie Anderson. Tyree Wilson, I think, will test very well. I think Miles, Miles Murphy will both do really well, him and Wilson. Wilson, I said this back in December, is kind of like this year's version of Trayvon Walker to a certain extent. To a certain extent. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, at this point. It could happen. It could happen where he tests well enough to get in that number one pick overall, number one overall pick conversation, if the Bears keep it, which we'll get to that in a little bit. But this dude will test really well. This dude will test extremely well. He's six foot six, two hundred seventy five pounds, and can move. He can move, like he's he's an athlete. He's an athlete. Same thing with Miles Murphy. They're both really long defensive ends. Keon White is an interesting one. He's a bigger defensive end. He's six foot five, two hundred eighty pounds. He was listed at about two ninety four while at Georgia Tech. He's probably going to test really well as well. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of really good athletes in the DN category this year or edge rusher category. And we got the Iowa guys. We got Lucas Van Ness. We got Will McDonald. Two guys that will test really well. Two totally different body sizes, body types. Will McDonald is interesting though, because Will McDonald we've talked about or I talked about this on Cole and Company a couple weeks ago. He's six three, two hundred forty one pounds, and in that body style. You would think he played a three tech or a outside linebacker in a three four defense. Instead, he plays as a three tech in the three four defense. He's only two hundred and forty one pounds, and yet is putting his hand in the dirt as a D end and having outside linebackers around him. Like that kind of athleticism is really like he's going to transition outside the NFL. He's not going to play as a three tech in the NFL. It's just not going to happen. He's the all time Big Twelve sack. Geez, Big Twelve sack leader. So he obviously didn't have any issues at that from that department in college, but the NFL is going to go to the outside linebacker or play as a 4-3 D end. He ain't going to play as a 3-tech. He ain't doing that anymore. Lucas Van Ness, though, will probably be a 3-tech in the NFL. Probably be a 3-tech. Or plays the end on a 3-4 defense. Or a 4-3 defense. 6-5-275. A lot different. A lot different body style than Will McDonald. Two completely different players. But Will McDonald has the speed. Lucas Van Ness has the power. Lucas Van Ness, nicknamed Hercules. This dude is freaking built. Remember Joe Tryon a few years ago? It's kind of like that. Like, if you're just sculpting someone, it'd probably be like Lucas Van Ness. And this dude, again, everyone's going to make a big deal about this guy didn't start a single game at Iowa. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Like, you look at the NBA, like, Zach Levine didn't start a single game in college. Or maybe one. Devin Booker didn't start in college. Like, I don't, Patrick Williams, that's a little bit different scenario, but didn't start a game in college. So it's not that big of a deal. People just think you're really raw and they can put, they're like putty in your hand. You're putty in their hands to a certain extent. That's how people are going to view Lucas Van Ness. And what's interesting about this is that Mel Kuyper, ESPN's Mel Kuyper, posted a mock draft today. And what was funny about this, the very first thing I noticed is number eight, the Atlanta Falcons. He had Will McDonald, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network's NFL draft guy. Number eight to the Atlanta Falcons, Lucas Van Ness. So we got the Iowa guys both projected to go in the top 10 by these two guys. I think 
Lucas Van Ness has a better chance of going in the top 10 than Will McDonald does. I think just being as big as he is, Will McDonald's a little bit smaller edge rusher. So I would expect him to probably go, if he goes in the first round, probably somewhere in the 25 to 32 range. If he goes in the first round. He could go higher. He could go higher. He is a baller. I don't want to take anything away from him. Again, he's the all-time sack leader in Big 12 history. Beating Von Miller's record. This dude can actually play. I don't want to make it sound like he can't play. But I think Lucas Van Ness, given his size and, um, what do you want to call it? Unfinished productness, <laughs> I guess you could call it that. I think that will give him the slight edge over there. But I do think that's really cool that both the top two guys in the NFL draft, in my opinion, like the most well-known guys, Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper, they both have the Iowa guys going to Atlanta at number eight. Will McDonald or Lucas Van Ness. I think that's awesome. Uh, Tuli Tui, Tui Pelotu from USC. This one's going to be a conversation. He's more of a three-tech. D-line, D-end, stuff like that. He'll be listed as three-tech. Derek Hall will test pretty well, I would imagine. B.J. Ojolari from LSU will test very, very well. Isaiah Foskey, Nolan Smith will test very well. Nick, Hed- Nick Herbig from Wisconsin, linebacker, edge rusher type person. We'll see how he does there. Andre Carter, very intrigued to see how he does. Very intrigued because he came in as a wide receiver at Army. Six foot six, 252 pounds. Wide receiver, tight end in high school. Came into Army, and now he's playing D-end and one of the, talked about as one of the top pass rushers in this year's draft class. Uh, Zach Harrison from Ohio State is going to be interesting to watch. More traditional th- uh, 4-3 defensive end there. Who else do we want to talk about that could be testing very well? Those are your main main guys that you look out for. Then who else is testing on this day? Who else is testing on this day? Linebackers. Linebackers. Is there a different day? Okay, no, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. Linebackers, Drew Sanders is going to blow out the combine. Drew Sanders is a freaking athletic beast. This dude's 6'5", 233 pounds. He can kind of, I would imagine he could play that kind of Micah Parsons role at the next level. Kind of. Where he could play a D-end if asked to be, but also can play in line as an inside linebacker. He could do either one. Trent Simpson, probably the most athletic linebacker in this draft. Probably. I am saying probably is like there's a very, very high chance he's the most athletic linebacker in this draft. He's not as big as Drew Sanders. He's only 6'3", 240. So about two inches shorter and 15 pounds lighter. But this dude, baller. Absolute baller. Diane Henley. Another very, very athletic linebacker. Again, we're going a little bit smaller now. Six foot one, two thirty. Jack Campbell. This will be interesting to see how he tests. It's very interesting how he tests. If he tests well, he could be a second round draft pick. Because most Iowa guys will test well. It's like what they're trained for. It's what they're bred for. Is to test well at combines. They work. They're workout machines. If you come from the University of Iowa, you better be able to test well. I think Jack Campbell will be that kind of guy that tests really well at the combine. Or not really well, but he'll test well. He's a big dude like Drew Sanders, 6'5", 246 pounds. He's a big dude. We'll see how he runs. We'll see how he runs. But he's in that linebacker three conversation. I think Sanders and Simpson are the top two guys. And then he's in that conversation with Henley, Toa Toa, and then probably Noah Sewell, who's listed a lot lower on here than I expected on the Combine's website or on the NFL.com's website. He's listed a little bit lower. Six foot two, two hundred fifty three pounds. That's uh, Panay Sewell's younger brother. A uh, Demarvian Overshone from Texas is a very lengthy linebacker, very lengthy. He's not very big. He's not very big. Six foot two, two hundred twenty pounds. He's probably one of the lighter linebackers in this class, but he is fast. Henry Toa Toa again, not one of the biggest linebackers in this class, but fast, fast linebacker. Then we have who else do we want to talk about? Dorian Williams from Tulane will be interesting to watch. Owen Popo from Auburn. Ivan Pace who had a very solid senior day, 
or Senior Bowl weekend, week, or whatever, not Senior Day, Senior Bowl. Yeah, those are your, probably your linebackers to look out for. What's this next-gen stats thing? Oh, good, good. So they got, they've got they listed next-gen stats like 84, Simpson and Sanders. Yeah, those are the top two guys. Those are the top two guys. I think that there's some people out there will have Sewell up there. I think some people out there will have him. I think that you're kind of... You're kind of trying to be the I'm different type person if you don't have Sanders. I have Sanders one just because of how big he is. But Simpson, with how athletic he is, again, the most athletic linebacker in this draft, I can understand why you'd have him up there as well. And I felt really bad. I didn't have Sanders in the first round. I wanted to. I really wanted to send him to Dallas. I think him going to Dallas makes all the sense in the world. But I don't know. I feel like Jerry Jones will definitely want to look at a weapon, whether that's running back or wide receiver. We'll see what happens with Zeke. There's a lot of people that have been cut the past few days. Like Leonard Fournette just got cut from Tampa Bay. We already talked about Carson Wentz. Marcus Mariota, unsurprisingly, got cut from Atlanta. So there's some people finally getting put on put on the tra- put on the block a little bit. But I'm intrigued again. We got Friday. We'll talk about this again on Friday for Friday's show. We'll go over the D-backs and special teams. We'll go over the rest of the positions on Friday's show because I got some things I want to talk about here as well. With all these players at the Combine and all these different interviews going around right now, there was one thing that came out of today that a lot of people turned their attention to, and rightfully so. And rightfully so. And that was Ryan Pace and Matt Eberflus talking about the quarterback position and the number one overall pick in the draft. And what was intriguing about that is that the Bears reportedly, and pretty unsurprisingly in my opinion, are shopping the number one overall pick. That's what, the, that's what it says right now. From Courtney Cronin on Twitter, Ryan Poles said that there said there are some scenarios that would benefit the Bears to trade their number one pick before free agency because it would give the team, quote, a clearer view of what we need and scenarios where Chicago would acquire players in trade for top draft pick as well. I think that's the smartest move you can make. I think it's the smartest move you can make. And there were other quotes in there as well, talking about the Bears quarterback situation. And I think that's the smart way to go. Get that done before trade deadline. Because then, or before trade doesn't, before free agency kicks off, because you go, okay, these are the players we need to target. These are the players we need to target. Like, that's that's what the mindset should be. And again, we talked about this before. I don't think the move, moving Justin Fields, moving on from Justin Fields makes a lot of sense. I don't think it makes sense. Because Justin Fields did not have any off the line, barely had any competent weapons. We're going to see what they can do with all the money. Because again, they've got about $30 million more to spend this offseason than every other team in the NFL. They're the next closest team in the NFL, let alone every other team in the NFL. So they've got money to make. they got moves to make. And they're going to make up be very big in the trade market as well for this pick. And then according to Je- Jamie Eisner, uh, which team will end up picking number one overall in the 2023 draft? Odds via bet online. Texans are currently the favorites. With the Colts at two, Bears three, Raiders four, Panthers five, Falcons six, Jets 7, Commanders 8, and Bucks at 9. Let's see it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Okay, I did count right. <laughs> I did count right. But I think the top two are right. Maybe not in that order, because I think it's going to be close between those two teams. I think if the – so the Bears – the Bears will be picking fourth. The Bears will be picking fourth regardless. Whether they trade up – trade back with the Colts the for the number one pick or trade back with the Colts after they trade back with the Texans. Because there's going to be a conversation about this as well. If the Texans are the team that trade with the Bears, do they throw in the 12th pick? Is the 12th pick going to be involved if the Bears trade with the Texans? That's going to be the conversation had. There's some people that believe it will be involved, and there's some people that won't. I don't think it will be, 
But I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm an expert in that regard. Trade value and stuff like that. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But that's going to be very interesting if that 12th pick's involved because the Bears could fill another need. Because, again, they don't have a second-round pick. The second-round pick from the Texans or Colts will be available. And then you're going to have a first-round pick next year as well. So, love to see. But I think the Texans and Colts are the top two teams there. I think the Panthers, and we're excluding the Bears here because, again, they got the number one overall pick. The Panthers, I think, would be the next team. I think the Panthers would be next. The Jets, I don't see that. The Commanders, I could definitely see just because of the fact that Daniel Snyder, if he's going guns a-blazing, if he's going all out, I could definitely see him trading up to number one. He's traded up a lot before. He's traded a lot of picks before. Remember the RG3 trade in 2012? Like they've made they've made some big time moves to move all the way up to two. Now, there's gonna be a conversation going around as if this class is better than next year's class. So there could be some teams that are like, man, we like Bryce Young, we like Richardson, we like Stroud, we like Levis, but man, we ain't Caleb Williams or Drake May next year. Like, I I, I like next year's draft class. Like, there's some reports going on right now that there are a lot of NFL teams that believe the best quarterback prospects from college football last year are still in college. From this past year's college football season, the best two quarterbacks in the class are in next year's draft. And that's, again, Caleb Williams and Drake May. Both of them will probably go one and two. Both of them will probably go one and two. Caleb Williams, I'm going to go out here and say this. If this dude... Even if he has a complete dud, this dude will probably go number one overall. This dude's insanely talented. I think if people look at it and go like, wow, this dude had a down year, but we saw what he can do. Like, this dude won the Heisman Trophy. Like, this dude can ball. If he has a down year, I would not be shocked if he still goes number one overall. Drake May is a very, very good quarterback. Very, very good quarterback. And not very far behind Caleb Williams. And they'll probably both go number one and number two overall in the draft. So that'll be a very intriguing thing for some of these teams that could possibly need a quarterback. Do they just wait till next year? And there's hope, for the love of God, that they suck next year. Or if they're going to be willing to trade up a boatload of picks. Like, who the hell knows? Like, you look at the Utah Jazz in the NBA trying to get Victor Wambiyama. If I said his name right, I apologize. And they're actually playing good. Colin Sexton, Laurie Markkinen are playing very, very well. And now they're out of the number one pick conversation. That was what their goal was. They traded Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert for a boatload of picks that they could still use to get number one, but they're not going to get there naturally. At this point in time, I mean, they got the draft lottery, so maybe they move up there, just amazingly move up to number one. But it's going to be conversation to be had. It's going to be some conversation to be had. Is Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Levis, Richardson, are those guys that you feel like are going to be better than next year's class? Who knows? It's kind of a similar conversation to what we had in 2017 going into 2018. Like, you got Mahomes, Trubisky, Watson, but not a lot of people at that time viewed that draft class as a very, quote-unquote, high-value draft class in regards to the quarterback position. Back then, obviously things have changed now with Patrick Mahomes being one of the best QBs of all time, winning two Super Bowls, two MVPs, five years, five home playoff games, five AFC championship games, three Super Bowls, like... Obviously, times changed things, but at the time, they were having similar conversations then than what we're having now. Is next year's class better? So you look at 2018's draft class, Allen, Rosen, Darnold, Mayfield, Lamar. Like, you had players in that draft class. So we'll have to see. We'll have to very much see. But the Texans, I feel like, will take a quarterback wherever they pick. 
Colts will take a quarterback as well. Panthers will take a quarterback. And the Raiders today, they Josh McDaniels, the uh, the all-seeing eye Josh McDaniels, he came out today and said, we're going to be looking for a guy that can be our long-term answer at quarterback. So I would imagine that the Las Vegas Raiders are taking a quarterback. At some point, an early pick. So it's first-round pick or second-round pick, the Raiders are taking a quarterback. Like, I could see a world where Josh McDaniels wants to take Tanner McKee. I could see that being a reality. But I think they're going to take one at seven. And I said in the last mock draft, it was t- we had Anthony Richardson, who, after if a good combine, if he has a good combine, could definitely be in the number one com- pick, number one overall pick conversation. We've talked about that numerous times. Anthony Richardson, conversation, number one overall pick. It can happen. Do not be surprised if it happens. Don't look at his numbers and then tell me he's not a good quarterback. You got to watch this guy. You got to watch this guy. He's one of the few players I've ever banged on the table before. Like, I... Uh, that sounded weird. You know what? <laughs> Paint on the table four. Like this guy's gonna. This guy's good. This guy's good. This guy is more Josh Allen than Will Levis is. Will Levis, I've said, is like an Andrew Luck type guy. Not necessarily in regards to draft stock, like where you view them. Where Andrew Luck was considered like a unpassable draft prospect. I'm not saying Will Levis is that, but Will Levis can move. Luck can move. Luck is bigger. Levis is bigger. Both have strong arms. Both have strong arms. Like, it's... I'm not sitting here and going, like, Levis is Andrew Luck. But they play similarly. Like I've said, C.J. Stroud's kind of similar to that of Joe Burrow. Just he's not as cool under pressure as Joe Burrow is. There's time... I've never seen Joe Burrow flustered. I've seen C.J. Stroud flustered before. Bryce Young, that one's the interesting one because there's not a lot of quarterbacks that are similar-ish to him. Because he's very small. Like, people want to talk about, like, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, who he was compared to at a high school... But they're bigger than him. Like, look at Kyler Murray meeting Jonathan Gannon for the first time. Like, Kyler Murray is a lot bigger than CJ than Bryce Young is in regards to weight. They might be the same height. Bryce Young is about 5'10". Like, I saw a comparison today to Allen Iverson. I think that's fair. I think that's probably the most natural comparison to him. Because you look at when Allen Iverson was drafted, he was the first overall pick in that draft with Kobe and Steve Nash and all those guys. And he wasn't the prototypical size. He was six foot shooting guard. If that. Six foot, 170 pound shooting guard. Bryce Young is a 5'10, 170, 180 pound quarterback who can do a lot of amazing things on a football field. So you're going to have to look past the size thing and go, this dude can really play. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. But I think Bryce Young is either going to Houston or Indy. I don't think he falls back to the second pick at this point. Unless people start really falling in love with Levis and Richardson, I don't see a world where Bryce Young goes past two. Because I think the Texans want him. That's why the Texans trade up number one makes all the sense in the world. But I think the Colts might also want him too if you give in all the Jim Irsay quote and all that. But if, the, if let's say hypothetically, the Texans trade up to one, the Colts, between Levis and Richardson, a lot of people are leaking Shane, linking Shane Steichen to Richardson because they have a similar skill set to that of Jalen Hurts. And if you want to go long-term, if you want to compare what they can do, not necessarily what they have done, Richardson has more tools in the toolbox than Jalen Hurts does. They play somewhat similarly, somewhat, in regards to being a quarterback that can kind of run people over. I think Richardson's more athletic than Jalen Hurts. So there's obviously that comparison there as well. I think if you want to make a comparison to Hurts, you're probably getting Levis. Levis and Richard Levis and Hertz are closer to each other than Hertz and Richardson, in my opinion. I could be completely wrong about that, and you can you're open to tell me I'm wrong about that, but 
I think if the Colts don't get young, I think they're going for Levis. And then that opens the door for Stroud, who I think would go to Carolina. And then you're opening the door for Richardson going to Vegas again. So I think the Colts are between Levis and Young. I think the Texans will be Bryce Young. If they don't get Bryce Young, it'll probably be Stroud. I know there's obviously going to be a connection with the Houston, with his agent being Deshaun Watson's agent, and they're not going to like the Houston thing. Doesn't matter. I don't think Stroud will care about that that much. And the agent, it's not like his only two clients are Deshaun Watson and C.J. Stroud. He's got other people. So I think that's a little bit overblown. And I think the connection with Gerard Johnson, I think having Cliff Kingsbury come in, if he's still available, I don't know if he's officially been hired, but he was linked heavily with the Texans OC job. So we'll see if he comes into play. And Stroud, I think, would make sense there. Then you got Carolina. I think it's between Stroud and Levis. I think those are the two guys they've been linked with the most. And then Vegas, I think they're. I don't think they'll trade up. I think it'll be whoever's available. And I think Richardson would be a guy that they would really like. But I th- in an ideal world, I CJ Stroud would make like fit what the Raiders want to do in regards to what Josh McDaniels has done in the past. I think Stroud fits that mold better than the other quarterbacks in this class. But I don't know if Stroud will be available. That's the question. So the Raiders trading up the number one, possibly. But again, I've said this before. I don't see the Bears falling back past four. Like if you have a veil, if you have a, a chance to get either Richardson or a Carter or Anderson for Bama or Georgia to fix a fix a very big need in your defense, you're not going to fall that much farther past four, because no one's going to trade up to draft one of those guys. And even if they do, guess what? You're sitting at four. You're going to get one of them. The Texans ain't going to take one of them. Colts ain't going to take one of them. Like, there's some people out there that think the Texans might take one of them and go for Williams next year. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that will happen. Now, I did have this idea of uh, looking at, like, with Anderson possibly going to Houston, because there's some people, again, I got, I don't want to say argument, because it wasn't an argument, but someone commented on my Instagram post. So, uh, someone commented on my Instagram post about my mock draft and said that if the Texans don't get young, they're going after Anderson. Again, they have a needed edge rusher. I'm sure D'Amico Ryans would love that. Every single report out there says they're taking a quarterback. Every single report out there. So I'm obliged to believe that they're taking a quarterback at number two. If they took edge rusher or Jalen Carter at two, I would be pretty surprised. I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna lie. So I had this idea of let's go over some of if we went through one through thirty two, what's the most surprising thing that could happen? With this pick. Because there's surprising picks in every single mo- every single draft. Like Rager going to the ju- the Eagles before Justin Jefferson. Then you've got John Ross going to the top 10. You've got Mitch Trubisky going second overall to the Bears. You've got um, <laughs> Breaker Mayfield going number one. You've got Cleland Furl going to the Raiders at number four. Like you've got Daniel Jones going to the Giants at six. Like there's all these different options you could say that are like surprising picks that screw up everybody's mock draft because no one really sees them happening. Or John, like Brady, Aaron Rodgers falling to 25, Brady Quinn falling to the top 20, Johnny Manziel going to the 20s. Like, there's surprising things in every draft. Players will fall, players will rise, and the combine's going to be a big reason for that. But let's go over what the most surprising thing each team could do in the 2023 first round of the NFL draft. Most surprising thing. I'm not saying it's out of the question, completely out of the question, but this would be the most surprising thing. I'm not going to do trades. I'm not going to do trades. So we're just going to go through and what would be the most, again, I'm not going to keep repeating it. But the Bears, number one, taking a quarterback. That would be the most surprising thing. And Bryce Young would be the guy. 
that I would imagine you would you would think because I think it's funny with the whole Justin Fields and like playing outside thing. <laughs> I think it's funny that the the people that are saying that or are taking that and running with it. We made fun of that last week. People that are taking that are going like, well, Bryce Young's gonna be the answer. Bryce Young played high school football in California and then played college football in Alabama. He never played in cold weather. Never played in cold weather. So you're you're going from a guy who played at Ohio State, who just said he doesn't like the cold, which, same, you're going to go with a guy from Alabama. That would be the most surprising thing there. That would be the most surprising thing. The Texans, again, I think it would be taking an edge rusher. I think he'd be taking an edge rusher. So Will Anderson. Cardinals, I think it's the same thing as the freaking Bears. Taking a quarterback. Because, and I'm going to I'm gonna try and, like, not, I'm not going to be ridiculous with this because you could say, oh, take a quarterback. The Bills, the most surprising thing they could do, take a quarterback. I'm going to be realistic because the Cardinals taking a quarterback, that is semi-realistic because of the fact that Kyler Murray's out for the season. Probably. He tore his ACL late in the year. And then, not only that, they've got a new quarterback. they got a new head coach. they got a new GM. They've got new people in there. So I'm. it's not like, I'm not going to go out and say, like, the most surprising thing the Cardinals would do at three is take a kicker. Well, yeah, that would be very. That would be probably the most surprising thing they do. Most surprising thing, realistically, taking a quarterback at three is not completely unrealistic, but it'd be very surprising because of the fact Kyler Murray's been out. Colts at number four, the most surprising thing would be just not taking quarterback. The Colts are taking a quarterback, and the Colts don't take a quarterback. What they're gonna do at four is, I have no, I have no idea. I really have no idea. I'd probably take an off the lineman at number four. So like Peter Skaronsky at four. So Colts off the line stinks. Absolutely stinks. So that'd probably be the most the most unrealistic, realistic thing to happen. I don't think receivers I, they have a need at receiver. But I don't think that's an option here. I think a tackle would be make more make more sense here. Seattle, most surprising thing they could do here. Was I don't think taking a quarterback would be that surprising. I don't think that would be surprising at all. I toyed with the idea at 20, maybe at 5, that'd be surprising, but at number 20, I don't think it'd be that that shocking. Maybe a receiver. Maybe taking a receiver at number 5 would be kind of interesting because I did have them taking a receiver in the last mock draft. We had them taking Jordan Addison at 20, but there should be no receiver really. At least that's what, what I'm gathering now. There's no receiver that's really going to be up in that top 10 conversation. I think if Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't get hurt, we'd be having a conversation about him. If Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't play, I think, three games, I think we'd be having a totally different conversation about where the receivers would go. Because Jackson Smith and Jigba would be guaranteed. I Let's say hypothetically, like, the Texans take Stroud at two. Jackson Smith and Jigba makes 100% sense going to 12. And they obviously don't care about injuries. Because remember, they took Derek Stingley last year at number three. And Derek Stingley hadn't really played consistently since his freshman year, where he was the best corner in college football as a freshman on LSU's national championship team. They didn't worry about the injuries. He had a Liz Frank injury. So there's a big step of, we have to trust this guy. And he got hurt this year. Then they took Kenyon Green, who had knee questions going into the draft. So they're not afraid of injuries. So if they take Stroud, the option of Jackson Smith and Jigba does make sense because the connection's already there. And they're not afraid of the injury history. They're not going to be afraid of that. The Lions at six, quarterback. It's not out of the question of them taking a quarterback in the first round. I think Richardson would make sense for the Lions. But if they took a quarterback in the first pick, I would be absolutely shocked. 
I would be shocked. Be a, that'd be one of the, whoa, that's, that is not what I expected. That is not what I expected. Raiders at seven. See, right now, and even not right now, just in general, there's nothing the Raiders could do that surprised me. Because it's the Raiders. There's literally nothing they could do. That's the crazy and sad thing about the Raiders, is that they will draft whoever they want at whatever pick. Damn you for thinking that they're stupid for drafting said player at this pick. Like, they do not care what you think about this pick. So, like, they could draft a receiver. They could draft a running back. So, maybe, okay, maybe B. John Robinson. That would be the most surprising thing, because they got Josh Jacobs. He's a free agent, but I don't think I, maybe drafting B. John Robinson would be the most uh, surprising thing to happen there. Falcons at eight. Not taking an edge rusher. I think that'd probably be the most ex- the most crazy thing. Taking a wide receiver. Maybe them taking Bijan Robinson too. That wouldn't be super- like it's not out of the question. That'd be like Tyler Allgaier ran for a thousand yards this year. Played well. I think the only two positions they can really look at here is if they take a uh, off to tackle or edge rusher. I don't think they could take anything else because Caleb McGarry, their tackle from their first round pick from twenty nineteen, is a free agent. And who knows if he's going to get re-signed. He's just coming off a career year. So, like, Broderick Jones, Georgia guy, would make a lot of sense here. In-state guy, potential there through the roof. Edge rusher, obviously. I mean, they've been in the bottom half of sacks since, like, what did we say, 2017? Is that how long they've been in the bottom half of sacks? So, like, any, like a tight end, because Kyle Pitts. I don't know. There's a The Falcons, they've needed edge rushers for the past however many years, and they refuse to acknowledge that. So, again, kind of like the Raiders. They could not really do anything that surprised me. Like maybe quarter I don't I don't even think quarterback would surprise me. Like running back wouldn't surprise me if they took Bijan Robinson at, at set at eight. It wouldn't surprise me. Like there's not really a lot the Falcons could do that would surprise me in this situation. Maybe take a kicker. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't know what the Falcons could do. But the Panthers at nine, not take a quarterback. That'd just be the most surprising thing. Not take a quarterback. I've seen some drafts with them taking a wide receiver, and that would they need it? Could they use a wide receiver? Definitely, definitely. Chosen Anderson is in Arizona. Or he just did he just get cut from Arizona? I don't remember. But wide receiver would be an option here. But if they went for receiver instead of a quarterback, that would surprise me. That very much surprised me. Especially if they stood pat, stand pat at nine. That very much surprised me. Eagles at ten. Well, they took a quarterback. They took a quarterback because that was in the convert. That was a conversation that they had, like last year. They were trying to trade up to number two to get Zach Wilson in the twenty twenty one NFL draft. They've not really been sold on Hurts until seemingly this year. So, like, I wouldn't. I think it'd be stupid. I don't want to sit here and say like, "Oh yeah, the Eagles should do that." It'd be really stupid. I'd sign Jalen Hurts to a long term extension. The dude's awesome. Jalen Hurts is awesome. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the league. But maybe take a quarterback. Maybe that'd be a maybe something they could do here. Maybe take an offensive lineman. I don't. Well, no, I don't think any trench work would be surprising for the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't think that'd be really surprising. Running back here doesn't wouldn't surprise me. Receiver maybe that would surprise me. But probably quarterback. If I had to guess, like, because I could I could see a reality where they stupidly do that. For whatever reason, I don't know why. Don't question. Don't ask me. But I'm, that'd be probably the most surprising thing. They have talked about it before. They have talked about it. But there's some teams in here that are like wouldn't be insanely surprising if they did. So we're gonna stop at ten because I think if we get to like 
will be the most surprising for the Washington Commanders at 16? I don't know. Who the hell knows what's going to be available at 16? <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to cut it off at 10. We're going to cut it off there at 10. But uh, is that all I've really got for you today? Is that all I've got for you? Going to go through some things. Oh, the Rodgers thing. Added, added another thing. No one really knows again what they're talking about. Situ situation between Rodgers and the Packers, both publicly and privately, is feeling more like the two sides trying to navigate the perceptions of breakup rather than the two sides trying to find a way to continue forward together. Very interesting two weeks ahead. And then we've got stuff here as well. GM Brian Gutenkurst, Gunt Gutkunst, sorry, in a session with Packers reporters at the Combine, said he hasn't spoken much with Aaron Rodgers since the end of the season meetings, end of their season, since their end of season meetings, but still hopes for a decision before free agency, March 15th. Uh, he, quote, he's a great player, but until we have those conversations, I think all options are on the table. We need to have those, we need to have those conversations. We want to, what's best for Green Bay Pack, for the Green Bay Packers, what's best for him. So we'll get to that coming up. And then he said, uh, Jordan Love is absolutely ready to be a starter, and they've been in regular communication with him and his agent about what's happening. So again, like we talked about last week, no one knows what's happening. Absolutely no one knows what is happening with Aaron Rodgers. No one. No one does. So what – oh, this – okay, this is the last thing I kind of want to talk about. The NFL draft – I saw the 33rd team, they always have some really interesting takes. NFL draft pro comps between Levis, Bryce Young – and C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud's Andy Dalton, Bryce Young, Drew Brees, Ryan Tann or Will Levis is Ryan Tannehill. Okay, the Ryan Tannehill thing does not really surprise me. I, I can kind of see that. I mean, he's Will Levis has a stronger arm than Tannehill. But Brees and Young, what do they do that's similar? Apart from be small and wear number nine. They don't do anything similar. What? And then Andy Dalton. I, I don't know where that comparison comes from either. It's just very weird, nuanced comparisons that make absolutely, I don't know. It's just very, very weird. It's very, very weird. And then Levis, speaking of Levis, is not going to throw at the combines. We got Richardson, Young, and Stroud, which should be very interesting. I'm very intrigued to see how they do. But again, quarterbacks will be thrown on Saturday, so we'll talk about that a little more on Friday's show. And then we've kind of talked about this before. Commanders coach Ron Rivera said that Sam Howell is not the starter next season. He said he's simply entering the offseason as QB1 and will compete. He's not our starter. So that was some reports that came out recently that Sam Howell was the starter going into the season, that they were telling offensive coordinator candidates that Sam Howell was a starter going in. I think he can be. I think he's good enough and has the ability to become a starter for the Washington Commanders, but we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. And I think that's all I've got. I think that's all I've got. I watched Sporting Kansas City's first game last night. They played the Portland Timbers, lost one uh, John Polskamp, great, great first save. And then... Um, Gave up a goal that he should have definitely saved about a minute later. And they lost one nothing. Very boring game. Nothing really happened. It was raining pretty much the entire time. So, um, yeah, hopefully they'll bounce back from that. They had a very much, I shouldn't say complete backup team, but there were a lot of starters that you'd normally see starting that were not in the game. They were not in the game. Like Johnny Russell didn't play. So we got, we'll see how an Alan Polito didn't play. So we'll have to see how this go, moves going forward. But that's usually how Sporting Kansas City starts the season. It feels like every single year they're going to have to – they have some slow start to the season, and they'll have some injuries or players not playing. They're in regular starters, so we'll see how they go moving forward. And then the final thing is uh, Patrick Kane got traded. It's not official yet. The Blackhawks haven't said anything, but the widely reported that he's gone. That he's gone. So that's sad. That's very sad. It's my favorite player of all time, uh, the greatest American hockey player of all time. Gave me a lot of really good memories in Chicago. Um, 
won a Stanley, won three Stanley Cups, scored the goal against the Flyers to win one in 2010. Like it was really, 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 really fun watching Patrick Kane. And it was the first time since I think, uh, what year did they say? I don't remember exactly what year they said, but I think 04. The other day when Patty Kane didn't travel with the team was the first time that neither Taze, Kane, Keith, or Seabrook were not on the ice for the Blackhawks. At least one of them. So it's the end of the era. End of an era. And the sad thing is the Blackhawks are not going to get the number one overall pick. They can be as bad as they want. They got a decent haul from what the ports are saying about, you know, the what they're getting back in compensation for Patrick Kane. But it's it's still sad. It's still sad. It's he's again the greatest American hockey player of all time. Won everything there is to win. The only number one overall pick the Blackhawks have ever had, in, or at least as far as I'm aware. Maybe they've had one more, but it was a long, long time ago before that. So it's gonna it's gonna suck. It sucks. But you know what? The Blackhawks, we knew they were gonna be bad going into the season. We knew they were gonna be bad. This it's not a surprise that the Blackhawks are bad. No one knew the black like no one came into the season expecting Oh, the Chicago Blackhawks are going to be one of the best teams in the NHL. No. Everybody knew they were going to be one of the worst teams in the NHL. And they're getting worse. Which is what they need to do. Is what they need to do. They held on for a little too long. Held on for a little too long. But, uh, you know what? You don't realize you're out of the good times until they're gone. That's one of the things. One of the, Or what's the saying? You don't realize until the good times are gone until whenever. I don't know. But whatever. Sad time. Sad time in Chicago. Hopefully the rebuild lasts doesn't last that long. And hopefully by the grace of God, they get Connor Bedard. They're not going to. They're not going to. But by the grace of God, let's hope it happens. So with that being said, that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of Logan Blackman Show. I do hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. Make sure again to follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. And of course, make sure you're following or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. And uh, leave a rating under five stars. And I will see you guys later. Peace.